0: It's Thursday, October 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me from the Great White North, Mr. Jim Gillies. Good to see you, my friend. Good to be seen, Chris. Uh, we have got snacks and beverages. We have an iconic brand that is returning to the public markets, but we are going to start with the stock of the day. Don't call it a comeback. Bed, Bath & Beyond has been here for years. It's just that all that time someone else was running the company. But now that Mark Tritton has been in the corner office for about a year. We're seeing days like today, second quarter profits came in exponentially higher than expected. Same-store sales were positive for the first time in four years. The stock is up more than 30% this morning. I'm assuming at least part of what we're seeing with the stock is some short sellers saying, that's it, I think I'm out. Probably. Bed Bath and Beyond. And congratulations
1: to Mark Tritton and uh, Best Buy, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, uh, for this quarter. Mark Tritton, formerly of Target, of course, uh, and a few other places before that. I think Nordstrom's, and I believe um, I think he had a stint at Nike too. Although I could be misquoting. Um, This Bed Bath and Beyond is is in in a group of companies, group of retailers that I like to call the obvious, obviously going to die crowd. And the funny thing about companies that are obviously going to die when they get the right mix of management decision making and and some help from the environment and, uh, you know, just a little bit of, you know, because no one's more aware of a company's struggles, or at least no one should be more aware of a company's struggles than the people inside the company and that's when you know you plan your strategy what are our tools how can we navigate our way through whatever we found ourselves in you know business is not easy and certainly for uh, this group of retailers that i'm going to i'm going to hold up you know bed bath and beyond is one chris um, but, you know, how about GameStop? GameStop, uh, the, the seller uh, of uh, video game systems and uh, uh, software that, of course, is going to be the next blockbuster, right? They, they've been writing that headline since 2009. How about Michael's, the craft store? Everybody knows, you know, why hasn't Amazon run them over? Uh, and, and the granddaddy of all of these, uh, companies that are are obviously going to fail, they're obviously going to be taken out, bricks and mortar is dead, is Best Buy. Which, uh, just before the podcast, we were uh, talking about how, uh, how many listeners realize that Best Buy has been a 10-bagger over the past decade. They went through some struggles, they brought in new management uh, who had a plan, and I'm sure they were mocked, and I'm sure people were skeptical. And they executed on that plan. And Best Buy, which was a sub $12 stock in 2010, 2011, is today roughly a $120 stock. Okay. And so when you see, and, and you know, I like, I'm, I'm going to kick myself a little bit on Best Buy because I, or not Best Buy, on um, Bed, Bath, and Beyond. There's too many B's. Um, Bed Bath and Beyond. I actually did a little bit of work about a year ago, as I was discussing with one of our with one of our foolish coworkers uh, about this basket of retailers who are sure to die. And we had this one. We had GameStop. We had Michaels on on the docket. And I went through, you know, what this company's history of cash flow was, and what they'd done with it, and how they'd raised capital. And this is before um, Mr. Tritton came on, but it. it <laughs> it laid the groundwork for someone with a better vision to come in and knock the ball out of the park, which you've seen today. And and best, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is, as we speak, it's now a six-bagger since March of this year. And, and so in the uh, roughly a year ago when I did my work as I was uh, vigorously debating our coworker, um, I pointed out that in the previous six years, here was Bed Bath and Beyond. they had produced like 4.2 billion dollars in free cash flow. They had also issued1.5 billion dollars in debt and they debated smart about the debt because the debt you know was basically staggered, I think is at 10, 20, and 30 years. And and so like they they going not have to pay it back anytime soon, and they had gone on a uh, massive buyback program. They they'd retired a, a ton of their shares. Uh, now slowly melting ice cube. No one's going to want to own this business, what have you. But at the time, the stock was about ten eleven dollars. The, the company was trading at four times uh, enterprise value to free cash flow. That I mean that it that is rock bottom cheap, fools. That is something that. Is going to go away. That's what the market is telling you. Um, flash forward to today, and oh, positive comps. Oh, we have a plan. They've, they've suspended their dividend. They've halted their. They've halted their. Uh, uh, they've halted their um, they suspended the dividend, halted their share buyback plan. I believe in April. Um, but with this, uh, with this uh, report they have generated a ton of cash flow. They've deployed it smartly. They uh, took down some temporary debt, which they had out as part of, the, as part of COVID. They have bought back 20% of that long-dated, not-in-any-danger-to-come-calling debt. They bought that back at a discount, which is brilliant. Um, they so they are down to they're down net debt down by about thirty percent from where they started the year. Uh, they have a store optimization uh, program, which is something that a lot of these retailers, the, the slowly melting ice cube cr- crowd, will call them. Um, they, they are reducing their store count because they don't need it, because they can move to e-commerce, which they've done a little bit. They can move to um, the the geography is ably served by less stores, and you see uh, a lot of the tra- uh, traffic that previously went through one store just transitions to another. And, you know, so this, they are, I'm going to steal a Ron Grossism here, they are firing on all cylinders, and I'm not sure anyone saw this coming. And I am, I am both thrilled, that they are doing this, they're having this success because everyone loves a comeback. I'm less thrilled that you own it and I don't, <laughs> um, and, but that's mainly because I had this in my hand a year ago, Chris, and I'm holding it up like you know, like the skull of Yorick, um, and and I'm l- looking at it and I didn't at least put a little feeler position out because, as I said at the time, trading for four times free cash flow, that is. Close to no-brainer territory for me.
0: So two other quick data points before we go to our next story. Uh, not surprisingly, digital sales a big driver this quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes hand in hand with the store closures. So, so uh, another smart move by Triton and his team. Um, and also, uh, uh, happy to see that they're you know suspending the dividend. Uh, that they're. Suspending the, uh, you know, sticking with the, we're not going to buy back shares. Uh, I'm also happy to see that they're um, not offering guidance. Um, You know, they're they're very focused. Yeah, Yeah. nor should they. they. No need to at this point. Um, Let's move on. Third quarter sales for Pepsi grew five percent, and kind of like we saw three months ago, snacks and some of the beverages, particularly the seltzer uh, part of their portfolio. Helping to make up for the fact that so many restaurants are closed, uh, so many sports and entertainment venues are closed, and uh, you know that's that's you know the stock is basically flat and is kind of flat for all of 2020. But um, it, nice to see that the the salty snack part of the business mm-hmm. is making up for the uh, sort of the tried and true Pepsi part of the business.
1: Yes, well, the, the Gillies household, particularly the soon-to-be sixteen-year-old member of the Gillies household, has been doing his part to uh, to to help with the salty
0: snacks uh, portion, and shareholders uh, he, thank him.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, dude, you there are other food groups other than Doritos. Um, yeah, look, it was a perfectly acceptable, boring quarter from a perfectly acceptable, boring company. And, and and I think you know, Chris, but maybe some of the, the listeners might not know, uh, for me to call a company perfectly boring, that is a, from, for me, that's a compliment, because I, I like businesses that are boring. Um, I'm not a terribly exciting person myself, I enjoy uh, investments in companies that just actually do what we expect them to do and essentially just get it done quarter after quarter. Pepsi is not going to, you know, if, if you're looking for Pepsi to be a 10-bagger, uh, a you know, anytime soon, like the aforementioned Best Buy that we mentioned earlier, um, that's not going to happen. Uh, they are just a steady bedrock performer for your portfolio. And we all need a few of those, so we can go after the more exciting things in our portfolio. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a, you know, it was a boring. It was a boring quarter, you know. But boring is nice because boring, you know, boring says, "Oh, we went up four, four plus percent on on uh, organic revenue growth. Uh, total revenue growth went up five plus percent. Uh, EPS is up ten percent year over year, just for the quarter. Uh, it's still down for year to date, but of course we understand why because the previous quarter with COVID." You know, no one no one was knew what was going on. so we can kind of forgive that. Um, they are they're pointing towards a full year. they did give guidance. Um, they're pointing point to a full year of approximate 4% revenue growth, approximately 550 in core earnings. Uh, the stock's at about 140 bucks, so it's not cheap, uh, but it's not terribly expensive. And again, this is this is one of those widows and orphan stocks you can buy. Put it away
0: and we'll see you when you retire. Uh, I like that uh, Hugh Johnston, who's the CFO at Pepsi, got a little granular on CNBC this morning talking about, uh, because when you think about all of the food and beverages they have across their portfolio, um, he got granular talking about the new Cheetos, macaroni and cheese, saying they're they're trying to keep up with demand as a fan of both Cheetos and macaroni and cheese. I haven't tried it yet, but I I, I can see why it's popular. any, uh, did they give any color on the uh, two portals that they, the, the direct to consumer sites that they launched earlier this year snacks.com and pantryshop.com? Sadly, Chris, they did not—at least in the conference call or the press—the
1: presser. Uh, maybe in the ten Q. I haven't read the ten Q yet, obviously. But um, yeah, no, Snacks.com. I can confirm both of those uh, sites are open and accepting offers as of the, this moment. Uh, snacks.com and, and uh, Pantry Shop. I think is an interesting uh, one because they are—you know, you are buying your—you're you're buying all of your Pepsi slash Quaker products. Uh, simultaneously in, in in the various groups so if you want your everyday pantry you want to get your your oatmeal and your healthy uh, uh, your healthy uh, chia bars and uh, your rice cakes do people still eat rice cakes and if so why um, you know you can get all those delivered at the same time or you know your snack package your your breakfast package uh, you know it's it's interesting to to have it delivered um, I I'm not a I, I, I'm I'm one of the three people in North America who still likes doing his own grocery shopping, so I'm I'm not probably the target here. But I know a lot of other people uh, have used it, and I think probably if I let my, as I mentioned, the 16 year old know that this thing existed, it might be his only source of nourishment. So
0: yeah, yeah, don't don't make him aware of snacks.com. The first time I went to that website, I kind of went crazy to the point where when the box showed up two two days later, even my kids were just like. Uh, this, this is a lot of snacks. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I may have ordered too many, but uh, but I, I regret nothing. Um, <laughs> Playboy Enterprises is returning to the public markets after nearly a decade. And because IPOs are out of fashion, Playboy is going to be doing this through a SPAC. Um, Mountain Crest Acquisition is a current special purpose acquisition company that is going to be taking Playboy public through a reverse merger. And once the deal is done, um, that company, where I believe the ticker is MCAC, um, is, is is going to take on the Playboy name and the ticker symbol PLBY. Um, I, I guess, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I saw this story and I sort of thought, okay, I, I, that's one way uh, for Playboy, which is a private company and has been since 2011. I guess that's one way to raise money. Um, I, I, I'm hard-pressed, though, to think that um, the, the second round of Playboy being a public company is going to go any better for the company and for investors than it did the first time around.
1: That was my initial take as well. And You say it's one way to raise money, I'd say it's one way for insiders to cash out. Um, tomato, tomato. The more I think about this, though, and I could be spectacularly wrong, and it wouldn't be the first time. This might be quite. This might be interesting. I, I, I can see, I can see a a, a number of things, and I, I just find this interesting from a number of reasons. Uh, first, as you point out, yes, Playboy uh, is private. The the SPAC, the Special Purpose Acquisition Company, uh, Mountain Crest Acquisition Company, uh, it's out there now. It's got a, it's a walking wallet. Got a bunch of cash there. Stocks just over ten dollars. SPACs go out at ten bucks. Um, there's nothing, you can, you can go buy it today, Chris, if you want. Uh, and uh, you can just sit there and wait until this transaction is completed in uh, Q1, if you want to own Playboy. So, Playboy today is not Playboy of the past. Uh, for one thing, magazines have died, so uh, there are no published issues of the uh, iconic famous magazine, uh, at least no regularly published issues. And I believe they went to quarterly publishing versus uh, monthly publishing before that. So, uh, what Playboy is trying to be. Or this new iteration, of, it's trying to be a licensing company. And they're calling it across four major categories. They're saying uh, sexual wellness, which I'm just going to skip to the next one, which is style and apparel, which is uh, uh, apparel for, and accessories for men and women globally, uh, gaming and lifestyle, so digital gaming, hospitality, and spirits, so you can get yourself some uh, Playboy branded bourbon, uh, and beauty and grooming, uh, which is fragrance, skincare, grooming, cosmetics for men and women. Okay. Um, that sounds interesting, they're not a publishing company anymore, or they're avoiding that. And I guess they have a bunch of online stuff as well, which I'll tell people they can go look on their spare time, um, but uh, they are calling themselves a streamlined, high-growth business. The company has $400 million in cash flow contracted through the next eight years and has products available for sale and in 10,000 major retail stores in the U.S. This is a branding company now. Now, what you think of the brand and what you associate with the brand, the iconic uh, Bunny Ears brand, of course, is, uh, is, is going to be probably nuanced and varied. Uh, I can understand why some people uh, would uh, not want anything to do with this brand. Uh, I completely understand that is not uh, uh, been the most, shall we say, progressive brand in history. It has uh, fostered um, some uh, attitudes, particularly about women, that uh, I think it's fair to say some would find distasteful, and I, I completely understand why. Uh, and for those people, they're just not going to be shareholders, and that's that's fine. But what I find interesting about this is if this, if the licensing deal, and and we have we've already had a certain dry run of this. In uh, do you know the the ma- magazine Maxim? Uh, yes. It was it was so it's it's a men's lifestyle magazine, you know, girly pictures and whatever. Uh, it was bought by an entity called uh, Big larry Holdings. I'm going to say eight or nine years ago, uh, with the goal of they went into. Change it from the, the Lad magazine into more of a lifestyle brand and, and licensing deal, what Playboy is doing. Um, now, uh, I mentioned earlier, it's important to have uh, um, you know, leaders at businesses you respect and trust, Big Larry Holdings is not one of those businesses. But I do know that they, even though their circulation and sales are down significantly there, they have turned that profitable on a small scale with the licensing strategy. I suspect that Playboy will do a better job and. It will depend on the valuation coming out, but you know, one uh, analogy I might throw up as uh, you know, as a comparison is um, franchising businesses in the uh, in the restaurant space. So, uh, restaurant brands international, which owns Tim Hortons and Burger King, um, Dunkin' Brands, which of course owns your beloved Dunkin' Donuts. Those are those are check cashing businesses. They they sell the franchise to a franchisee. You know, and then take back six percent of their gross sales and royalties every month, plus X percent for advertising. They sell you a system, and so those are very asset light, cash rich, capital generative businesses. And part of me wonders here. It's obviously not the same as selling, you know, uh, coffee and whatever. But part of me wonders if that is what this business will look like, and if they are truly in the growth business and the cash generation business. This might be an interesting opportunity,
0: and you just hit on what I think is the most interesting thing to watch once it becomes a public entity again—the high growth aspect of this. Because now we're going to see, now we're going to see through quarterly reports. Okay, are you growing? Because that's one of those things where we, as investors and the market in general, get to decide what we consider to be high growth. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and Uh, again, I, I had I had your initial take, which was oh, please. <laughs> like, it didn't work the first time, it's going to work less well this time. Um, the more I read about like,
0: oh, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on this one, just out to, to of curiosity. Jim Gillies, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.